You are listening to a Natural Products Insider podcast. With Heather Granado, Vice President, Content, Health and Nutrition. Brought to you by Supply Side West, November 6 through 10 in Las Vegas. I'm Heather Granado. I'm the Vice President of Content at Informa's Global Health and Nutrition Network. Welcome to the Healthy Insider Podcast. We are recording live at uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, Supply Side East, back here for the first time since 2011. I am here with Mark Ullman. Uh, Mark, who I believe actually has spoken at all of our Supply Side events. So uh, a storied history. Uh, he's with Ripken Radler, well-known attorney in the industry. Mark, thank you for joining me this morning. Uh, thank you for having me, Heather. Absolutely. So Mark spoke yesterday, uh, 25 years after Deshay, and the NDI process is still broken. Found it a really interesting topic. It's something that I know that you're really passionate about. Uh, the challenges with NDIs. You do an NDI and it doesn't go through. You go to grass. There's some interesting data out there that you shared that really last year only about 13% of the notifications that were sent in actually got that acknowledgement letter that FDA was happy. It's a pretty low rate of approval, isn't it? it uh, on its face, it's an alarmingly low rate of approval. Um, we saw about 40% of the submissions uh, not get processed because they were incomplete, uh, required data wasn't there. Um, the one area where FDA has been clear is there are certain mandatory information you have to give, like the name of your company, your address, um, and identify your ingredient. Um, and we're still seeing failures there. That's, I think, easy enough to point the finger at industry and say, hey, guys, you're sloppy. But even if we say that's an issue on half of the submissions, that would just boost the success rate up, the good day letter rate up, from 13% to about 25 which is still alarmingly low. Well, and what's interesting then, we've got this big problem What's FDA doing? Is FDA giving us any insight into what the problem is and how we should be fixing it? Well, we've had two guidance documents from FDA. We've had a regulation and two guidance documents. Guidance documents are supposed to give guidance to industry on, on how to handle matters with FDA, what, what FDA's current thinking is on a, on a subject, how, how to navigate the waters. Um, if you look at those two guidances, we don't have anything in any kind of detail about what FDA really expects us to submit and when they expect us to submit. Um, you know, the, the focus on these documents seems to be how do we suppress the number of notifications we get? Because if you look at the regulation... Um, there's an economic analysis justifying FDA's position at the time. And the agency said, you know, these things aren't going to be costly, which is a laugh and a half. Um, and we're basing all our presumptions uh, on this, on how we, on how we structured this, um, on the notion that we expect that they will, there will be between zero 
and 12 notifications a year. So that's pretty clear that we're t the, the agency acknowledged the law speaks only to new ingredients. Um, yet we've now had two guidance documents where the focus seems to be on we want you to notify us when you have new dietary supplements. And there's been a lot of energy poured into that, poured into justifying that position by FDA, um, rather than explaining exactly what they want presented, uh, addressing what they've seen as the challenges uh, and, the, and the problems in the submissions that they're getting, identifying exactly when we need to submit. Uh, one of the most significant provisions um, in Deshay is that even if you have a new, a new dietary ingredient for the U.S. market, if it's, that ingredient has been present in the food supply, marketed uh, as that ingredient, um, anywhere in the world, it's still considered new in the United States, but you don't have to notify FDA. That doesn't mean you need a safety dossier, but you don't have to notify FDA. You're relieved of that burden, yet two guidance documents later, we have no clue what FDA thinks present in the food supply means. Is it sold in the company cafeteria as an ingredient in brownies for two weeks? Or is it, does it mean the ingredient has to be marketed uh, in hundreds of thousands of units with repeat orders? We don't know. Right. We have no idea what FDA thinks on this. Well, and that's pretty interesting. When we look at, so we've got a, a law, 1994, we've got a regulation, 1997, and then we've got this huge gap until we get to 2011 and then 2016. These real onerous uh, draft guidance documents. Um, obviously, you're looking at, you know, changes in personnel. Is this something where FDA just sort of was waiting to say, you know what, we really didn't like it in the first place. We're just going to sort of wait and then tell you what our thinking is that we think it should be? <laughs> I think that what we're seeing in these guidance documents is definitely a symptom of we don't like this law. 25 years later, we still don't like this law. Um, there's an institutional bias, and, and moving the agency off of that has been, uh, been difficult. And I know it's not particularly proper to popular to say, but we've really only had one person with authority at FDA who cared about the industry. And that was when Dr. Fabricant was running the Division of Dietary Supplements. And you might not agree with some of the aggressive positions he took regarding enforcement. Um, but we knew what FDA was thinking. We had someone there who understood and cared about our class of goods, about dietary supplements. And there was order and predictability at FDA. Other than that period of time when, when Dr. Fabricant was there, we've had this uh, clear expression from FDA that, in, in my opinion, that we think your category is an annoyance, it's burdensome on the, uh, on, uh, the industry, and we don't think you do much for public health. So we're not, you know, you guys figure it out, and if you can navigate the waters, 
you know, God bless. Good luck. Well, and one of the other areas that you discussed that I'd like to touch on is uh, NDI and grass. Now, you've got an agency at FDA that's just massive. All kinds of little uh, areas of uh, oversight and authority. So you've got the NDI process. And uh, I think what we were talking about is I put my NDI in. It's this new dietary ingredient. I'm going to hit the reasonable expectation of safety. It comes back and they're like, no, no, I don't really see that you've got reasonable expectation. And ingredients instead are going this grass route that actually is a higher level, um, generally recognized as safe, uh, with their self-affirmation or even notification, and going that route instead. This seems like a real disconnect within the agency. You're right, Heather. Uh, um, FDA is a massive agency with responsibility for cosmetics, medical devices, and uh, drugs, in addition to being charged with understanding what's in our food supply and making sure that it's safe. Um, What we have with the ingredient uh, uh, situation is, I think, really troublesome. And without getting into any specifics, um, we're aware of multiple instances where an innovator, a company has said, we've got something new, it's great for the dietary supplement industry, we want to bring it to market. They do the research, they put together a fulsome NDI submission, um, which ends up with one of the rare good day letters. Um, and they bring it to market, and then having spent the resources on developing the product, uh, controlling their manufacturing process, understanding exactly what they're doing and producing, they then put more resources into building a market for that ingredient, the building consumer and trade demand for the ingredient. And the problem arises once they've achieved, once the innovator has achieved that success, we start seeing knockoff ingredients come into the market. Um, Some of them produced under not very well controlled manufacturing processes, Um, uh, produced in a manner that the company can't guarantee they're making the same thing every time. And these knockoffs uh, have a history of attempting to negotiate the NDI process. Um, And they fall into that category that vastly larger category of companies that get bad day letters, be it because they can't identify the ingredient. It, it can't be Which can't. you can't identify the ingredient. That, to me, is just inexcusable. It's, it's basically saying we're going to use consumers as our guinea pigs, mm-hmm. um, which I don't think we, sh- we want to have I don't think happen. we want to do that. They're not a great idea. Uh, not a great <laughs> idea. Uh, So they either can't characterize their ingredient, they can't demonstrate a controlled manufacturing process. Um, There was one instance where FDA's, uh, the NDI group, NDI are handled separately and apart from food issues. Um, The food issues is a grass group. So the NDI group, uh, on one occasion, rejected a notification saying you can't identify your ingredient. We're not going to go beyond that. Um, so you're n- we're not even considering it. You haven't even given us pr- notice. Um, second submission, the company managed to clear the notice hurdle, 
Um, so they technically are complied with the law because this is not an approval process. It's a notification. But the NDI group's response was, all right, now we know what you want to sell, but we've got questions about your safety data. For example, you didn't explain the lesions on the rat kidneys. Um, and then what, what, what's happened specifically in this case and in several others I'm aware of under similar circumstances, the knockoff ingredient disappears from the market for a short time and then reappears with a declaration, we're grass, we're generally recognized as safe, we've done a self-affirmation, we're legal, buy our ingredient, and obviously we're safe because we're grass. Um, in a number of instances, the NDI criticism, the NDI's group's criticism of the ingredient has been so extreme, like lesions, that the knockoff, the producer of the knockoff ingredient has felt compelled um, to notify FDA of their grass conclusion. This in order to uh, satisfy market questions about their safety issues. Um, the, alar the really alarming thing is in those instances where there's an ingredient of concern, where one part of FDA has specifically said, we have safety questions. Um, the notification has gone into the grass group, looking good, uh, because there's been a roadmap as to safety, the concerns from the NDI people, then grass notification goes in and is, is accepted without question. Um, and in one of these instances, on behalf of one of my clients, I submitted a Freedom of Information Act request to FDA, basically saying, what happens when there's an ingredient of concern that, that the NDI people are aware of, or the grass people are aware of. There, there's something that they're concerned about that somebody wants to bring into the market. Is there any formal mechanism that allows the ingredient to be flagged by one group for the other? Is there any, any avenue to communicate this? And the, incredibly, the response was no. These two groups are completely siloed. And the issue here with FDA's treatment on the this lack of communication from the NDI point of view is it's anti-innovative. The agency's not protecting companies that make this investment in bringing new products to our market. It's you know, you'd think that there was something they could do. I don't know, maybe like an Outlook, maybe a Google Hangout, where they could uh, actually share documents uh, that, that are that serious. That's a huge thing. Well, beyond that, there's not even a, an Excel spreadsheet that when in a bad day letter or serious questions arise on a grass review, somebody can go in and enter the name of the ingredient so that the other side of the agency is aware of it. Um, Heather, you know I say this a lot in jest, but this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about, the institutional problem at FDA, where you have the left hand doesn't speak to the right, and neither of them are in communication with the brain. And, and it, 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 in this instance, I, I often say that in jest, but in, in this instance, it's, this is what we're actually seeing happen, and I think it creates a serious public health concern. 
Well, I'm certainly pleased that you're continuing to speak out about this, sharing this with the industry. You know, we'll continue to keep that on our radar. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Mark. Uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch with you soon as we roll into Supply Side West and uh, continued content on uh, Natural Products Insider. I look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Fantastic. And to our listening audience, thank you so much for joining us. You can follow us at at NatProdInsider, hashtag InsiderPodcast. I'm Heather Granado, and we'll be in touch with you soon. For more award-winning podcasts from industry experts, go to Insider.com and click in the podcast section. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts by searching Healthy Insider Podcast. Hit subscribe to never miss an episode. To join the conversation about the supplement industry, leave a comment on the podcast's Twitter, Facebook, or SoundCloud. This has been brought to you by Supply Side West, November 6th through 10 in Las Vegas.